Okay, welcome back to the United Podcast, the podcast of the official Man United Supporters Club here in Sydney for your Friday night point, second edition, Larry, Friday night point. However, as the second edition, we were just speaking off air that we have failed our listeners and we're doing an alcohol-free Friday night point. Um, good start. Yeah, brilliant. Happy Friday to you. Happy Friday to anyone who is in here. But look, I'm a little bit under the weather, so I will be cracking a can, but it will be a can of Pepsi Max. Cristiano Ronaldo will not be pleased with me. Um, so I'm really sorry, Cristiano, but please forgive me from this occasion. Uh, good to look after your health. Yeah, I just health-wise, I just got a text from my my school where I do work in terms of tomorrow morning. I have to give all, all the coaches sort of the rapid antigen tests. So um, yeah, definitely in the mood to be looking after my health because the last thing I want to do is get to work on a Saturday morning and then get COVID and then have to be going back home. So fingers crossed, everyone is healthy and well and enjoying their Friday night. But like last week, we're just going to chat about whatever comes up. We've got sort of got one or two topics you can tell by the thumbnail in terms of the Anthony Martial rumours, or not rumours, sorry, the Anthony Martial news is still sort of fresh in the minds and sort of trending all over social media for whether it be the right or the wrong reasons. We'll sort of dissect that. Um, There's a bit in the sort of the Man United social media world we'll touch on in regards to Rio Ferdinand and the backlash towards him. We'll talk about obviously Man United in terms of every single deal, whether it be ingoings or outgoings at the moment, is regarding loans. Uh, we're not buying any players or selling any players. It's simply loans. We'll get into all of those. And a little bit at the end of the sort of podcast, a, bit, a little bit about Australian football, not really United-related, but might sort of turn into... In, I think United will play a part in, into it because such a big sort of big discussion around Manchester United support, whether from the Man United fan base or whether outside the Man United fan base, is why don't you support your local team? And here we are pretty much as far away from Manchester as possible not supporting our local team, and we do support the team in Manchester. So we'll talk about Australian football and the issues one Australian football has, but also the issues that we do have with football as well. I just want to touch on, start on Martial. Actually, I'm Matt here um, in the chat. Good to see you, mate. Evening from a beautiful one-mile beach. I hope you are keeping well and sunning yourself. But, Larry, Anthony Martial, weird one, because I just want your thoughts on the current or your current thoughts on Martial, because six months ago, I absolutely love the guy. Then he comes out and potentially refuses to play for Manchester United. You hate the guy. Then he comes on for a cameo against West Ham. Yet love the guy again. Then he goes on loan and you think, ah, oh, not quite sure of your feelings towards him. So Anthony Martial at the moment, do you like him? Do you hate him? He's a little bit in between. Yeah, it's feeling a little bit neutral. A little bit neutral. I think with Martial, it's a bit like the the big brother, Tom. Yeah, you, you love him. Uh, he did some, did something that upset me a little bit, uh, but. All being all, I wish him the best. Uh, ultimately, and like you said yesterday with Josh, um, we have to just hope that he does well. I think that's ultimately, whether you're a fan of him or not, um, and whether you're critical of him or not, I think everyone has a case for whichever side of the argument you're, you're sitting. Um, but in any case, I hope he does well. And if he does do well, then I think it gives United options for the new manager. Does he come back in for... Or if the manager doesn't want him or has let Martial doesn't want to come back, then in any case, it might be an option for him to move on for a greater fee. So in all cases, I hope he does as well as the Sevilla social media team because he's got a lot of hype to live up to. <laughs> well, that, that, that's on that in regards to, look, what do we care about Sevilla? But here we are, we're going to talk about it. What have you made? We've discussed that a little bit with Josh, but... We can sit here and say it's embarrassing, and I think it's embarrassing. However, we sat here and celebrated the exact same thing with Ronaldo a few months ago. Now, obviously, Ronaldo and Anthony Martial, they're two different cases. But what have you found of it? Because obviously, you're a fan of Anthony Martial. I think he's a great footballer, but in terms of his 
time at United, we can everyone can debate whether he is good or isn't good in terms of Sevilla. Obviously, he's a big name for Sevilla. But this is over the top. As I said, now it's very likely he won't return to Manchester United. He does want to leave. Whether his future in six months' time is at Sevilla or in Italy, time will tell. But for a loan deal, they are they not even milking this. They are going over the top. And I'm just thinking, are they just sort of, I don't know, trying to capitalise on a bit of social media banter and sort of get trending news type thing? Or are they actually just this excited? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I mean, they're, they're a big club, with, with all due respect. In the context of Spain, they are a big club. They're not Real Madrid. They're not Barcelona or even Atletico Madrid. But they're probably in the next bracket below that. So it's quite strange that they're basically pandering to him. Um, and like I said, I think they've put him under a lot of pressure, if nothing else. I mean, you can be excited for a signing, but think about the, from the player perspective. If Martial delivers anything less than 15 goals in his, I don't know, four months in, in Sevilla, he'll be considered a flop. The way that they've pandered to him, seriously, they're, they're rivaling Manchester United in terms of what we did for Ronaldo on a permanent transfer for a player who used to play for us. Looking it's, back it's, at what... It's embarrassing. You're looking at our emotions towards what Sevilla do, and I'm not sure why we are getting worked up, but here we are. We kind of are worked up. It, it makes no sense, but seeing from an outsider's looking at Sevilla and seeing what they're doing, does it make you rethink the way we sort of got emotionally involved in the Cristiano Ronaldo situation or was that simply understandable because of who it is or did we go overboard in regards to that reaction? Oh, look, I think the United social media team absolutely went overboard. Well, well, but how uh, us, as fans, though, uh, us as fans, though, did, did we overreact a little bit or is that understandable? I don't think so. No, I, I think fans have every right to be excited and, at the end of the day, Tom, football's romantic. I know it's a business, and unfortunately, that's probably come before the romantic side a lot of the time. So when you get the opportunity to bring back a player who, let's be honest, no United fan wanted him to go when he did. When you got the opportunity to bring him back, you thought at his age, it was probably dead and gone. Then he comes back. Look, I think we had every right to be excited. What a player, too. I mean, in... In recent memory, since you've been watching football, has there been another player who could, who's just, I don't know what the, the, even the right expression is. There hasn't been a player who's gotten me on the edge of my seat excited the way Cristiano Ronaldo did at Manchester United. First time around. I know he's a different player now. But what he did was for not, every time he got the ball, you knew something was going to happen or you felt something could happen. He was breathtakingly brilliant. He was legitimately a Ballon d'Or player. The, right, the exact clause we wrote into Martial's contract because he had all the ability to do it, but he never quite fulfilled it. So I think when you look at what came comes back from Ronaldo, how many Ballon d'Ors did he win at Real Madrid? Three, four? Mm. He's won five in his career. Four Ballon d'Ors at Real Madrid, one at Manchester United. We, we pandered to him, but he's genuinely, truthfully, the biggest football star on this planet. What's Anthony Martial? With all due respect. I think it's one of those ones that you talk about, yes, the individual excitement when he got the ball and you thought, okay, he could go past a player, he could do a step over, he could put in the top corner, and that brings excitement. That's the edge of the seat stuff you were talking about. But I think a more important – well, I guess, yes, it is more important, but the exciting thing for me was when he was on the pitch – you felt we could win a game. Now, obviously, we were a very good team at the time when Ronaldo was around, so we're going to win a lot of games anyway. But even if we were up against now prime Barcelona, which we didn't come up against, obviously, we did come up against a very good Barcelona in 2008, but obviously not the 2011 version. But whoever we were playing, if we were playing that 2011 version with Cristiano Ronaldo, a prime Ronaldo in our team, 
you would have backed us to maybe get something out of it. And that was the allure that he did have. He, no matter who we played, no matter what the form, if Cristiano Ronaldo was on the pitch, Manchester United had a very good chance of winning. And um, that is a sign of a very special player because now you look at, okay, let's take Ronaldo out. He's not the same Ronaldo, but let's say uh, Marcus Rashford or Bruno Fernandes. Yes, they are players who can individually win a game on their own in terms of a moment, but they're not going to fill you with incompetence. If we're absolutely having an absolute nightmare, you're not going, oh, it's okay, Bruno Fernandes is going to win us the game. You're still going to have to have a lot of hope in Bruno Fernandes doing that. And it's definitely not a criticism of any of those players, but it just goes to show the impact Ronaldo did have, not only on Manchester United, not only on the players around him, but almost more importantly, in regards to getting those results, the impact he had on the opposition. They knew deep down that they were in trouble when Cristiano Ronaldo was on the pitch. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. Cristiano Ronaldo legitimately earned the right to have an aura around him. And I think, you know, when you look at it in the context of Manchester United and social media, look, I, I thought that I thought United's social media team went a bit too heavy. I really did. I, I know it's Cristiano Ronaldo. I knew it was exciting, but even I was bored of it by day four. It was seriously, it was done at nauseam. There, there was literally a tweet every hour. It was a joke. Um, Speak for yourself. I didn't get bored of it. Yeah, well, you're a simple man with simple pleasures, Tom. But the, the Martial one's strange, isn't it? I mean, firstly, it's a loan. So there's that element that's embarrassing. Then secondly, they get original Ronaldo to do a video for him, telling him how big a club Sevilla is. He didn't even play for them. Mm. Like, it's just strange all round. Like, well, you, you speak about, we'll, we'll move on, you, just because you mentioned the word loan, and it's going to pop up, and it's going to pop up later on in the discussion. But a bit of news, I think it's been swept under the carpet. Ahmad Diallo has gone on loan to Rangers for the rest of the season. Uh, yeah. I, I think United covering all the what, which is fine. I'm sure he's on. I was going to say pittance. I'm not sure he's on. Maybe I don't know what's Ahmad on. Probably fifteen, twenty grand a year type thing, or fifteen or twenty grand a week type thing. So he's not on big money. So no issue with United covering the wages. But I'm just thinking this one has swept under the carpet. But I do like it. And now I might have maybe preferred a Premier League loan or even a Championship loan. I don't think the Scottish League is the greatest league for him to go to, but he's going to go on a, a play. I think the shirt that he was holding up was the number nine shirt, so yeah. hopefully that's a sign that he's going to be playing, whether that be through the middle or not. Well, to be fair, he has played through the middle the couple of times he has played for United. He has played in almost that sort of false nine role, so it'll be interesting to see where... Ray, I was going to say where Steven Gerrard deploys him. Obviously, Gerrard's not at Rangers mm-hmm. anymore, but it'll be interesting where Rangers do deploy him. But um, it's a weird one because we're all talking about Donny van der Beek, Jesse Lingard, Anthony Martial... Almost the most important loan when you are looking towards our future is Ahmad. Yeah, for sure. Tom in the comments, loan FC. Look, I don't think it's the last one either. Uh, we'll definitely talk about that. But look, for Ahmad, I take your point on going to a Premier League side, Tom. I think it's it's difficult for him. Um, and the reason I say that, as technically brilliant as he is, he's very slight. I mean, I think Mason Greenwood lacks physicality, if I'm being honest. I think he has made effort to fill out but I still think Mason's got a way to go before he's a regular center forward for Manchester United in terms of his his stature. And if you look at Ahmad in, in comparison to Mason Greenwood, Greenwood looks like the Hulk. So a lot of work to do on the size front for Ahmad Diallo. And, and that's that's probably the only concern I have for him. I know Paul Scholes was small, but Paul Scholes played in the, in the center of midfield. He could get away with his lack of physicality. He was also the best passer of the football I think I've seen. So there, there is that too. Um so I think Ahmad, as as brilliant as he is, I've got high hopes for him, but he's got a lot of obstacles to overcome to be a regular for Manchester United, I think. In saying well, that, I hope he kills it, of course. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, look, I'm not a watcher of the Scottish League, but if um, the Rangers and Celtic, they often do have some early kickoffs. So if I do see Rangers on the telly ahead of a United game one Saturday night, I'll definitely be tuned in if he starts. Obviously, I'm not going to watch if he's sitting on the bench, but um, fingers crossed he does do well and comes back to United and whoever the new manager is um, does like him because obviously very highly rated amongst Europe. Mm. And um, he obviously has looked good. There are sort of concerns with Ahmad. But in terms of ability, he does look like he has it. So it'll be interesting to see how he does develop. But talking about loans, I've spoken about Donny van der Beek and Jesse Lingard enough. Anthony Martial put that to the side. That is completely done. Just going to talk, we brought it up with Josh the other day in, in regards to some of the loan deals. United's best ever loan. I think there's one clear answer. So let us know in the live chat or if you're watching um, on delay, let us know in the comments. But let us know in the live chat if you are with us now who was United's greatest ever loan. Larry, I think there's one clear answer. Um, which I'm sure you'll probably say the right, the right answer because I think we've spoken about the last couple of days. But is there any um, anything you want to discuss in regards to Man United's greatest ever loans, whether that be sort of the signings coming in on loan or the signings going out on loan and how they did benefit United in the future? Yeah, well, I want I want those in the comments to give us your thoughts. Who, who do you think has been United's greatest loanee? So come on loan to Manchester United, not the other way around. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one. Um I can definitely tell you who didn't work out. Can, can we definitely? Falcao has to be the biggest disappointment. Falcao, the excitement, though. I, I would almost rival that excitement when Falcao arrived. Okay, there was excitement when Ronaldo arrived. But I'm telling you, there's a bit. Maybe Falcao was even greater than that. When he arrived, we thought, I remember watching uh, he was, uh, you go on YouTube and you watch highlights of goals when you sign a striker. Natural. I remember watching a video and it was eight minute compilation of his goals for Atletico Madrid. And usually when you see an eight-minute compilation of goals, you're just going to get all, all range of goals. You're going to get tap-ins, penalties. These were eight minutes of bombs. These are eight minutes of 40-yard strikes into the top corner of bicycles, of everything. And it was eight minutes of just unbelievable footage. And um, you thought you were getting the world's best striker, and he pretty much was the world's best striker before his knee injury. And, um, yeah, he's one of those players you look back and think, what could have been? Because the excitement around that signing, a loan signing, albeit, um, obviously on the back of Louis van Hal coming in, you, you thought we were back. And how wrong were we? What do you think it was with Falcao? Was it simply down to he was building himself back up after the ACL tear? Or yeah. do you think United maybe didn't play to him? Like he, he was a player who, despite being five foot ten, loved scoring a header. Did you, uh, but we, I think we it was the injury. Side at the time. I think it was definitely injury. I had an ACL injury. So coming back, I sort of, look, I'm not to accuse um, Radamel Falcao of, sort of this, I don't know, only he knows what his body felt and what was going through his mind, but he very much looked, in my opinion, to someone who was a little bit hesitant and knew there was something wrong with his knee and he wasn't quite that explosive. He was always in the back of his mind, really not exerting himself, and not exerting himself as in not putting the effort in, but just something was holding him back. And I remember he, he was he was one of those players that you always just just slip over. Him and Park Jisung and Danny Welbeck, the ball goes near them, they weren't falling over, they were literally just slipping over. Whether that, I remember there was a thing when Diego Forlan came in, he wore a different pair of boots um, compared to all the other players. All the players wore the metal studs when um, Diego Forlan arrived at the club. Diego Forlan stayed with the moulded studs. And Diego Forlan couldn't spend two minutes on the pitch without slipping over. Um, he obviously, <laughs> when he changed to the metal studs, he started scoring goals. But um, all the players were shocked by that. And I think Radamel Falcao, look, I'm sure he had metal studs, but it was one of those ones where I think in the back of his mind, he was just never over that knee injury. I don't know where he went after United. Um, did he go back Chelsea? to Spain? I Went to, of course he did. And, yeah, didn't do any better at Chelsea type thing. So I don't know where he went after that. So I think he's just one of those players who just Back didn't recover from an ACL injury. And some players don't. As a lot of players do in terms of 
just have to look at the past. I remember Roy Keane came back a hell of a player after the knee injury. A lot of players do it. Virgil van Dijk's doing it at the moment. But, um, yeah, one of those ones, in my opinion, it was just down to the injury. Sports science has come a long way, though, hasn't it? Even when was that? 2014. I want to say the, the way they rehab ACL injuries has come on. I think if, if he did that same injury now, Falcao, I dare say he comes back a little bit better. Oh, yeah, definitely. Look, and it's a, it's a mental thing. I remember when I did it, like, it was a cliche everyone spoke about. Oh, look, it's a physical battle, but you'll get through that. The main thing is mental, and you thought, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, just re- reading that out. Could have done with, very, um, very he could have done with Ralph Rannick's sports psychologist now, couldn't he? Yeah, definitely. Well, apparently United's first psychologist since the 80s or something, which is crazy to think about. But, okay, right enough, Helka obviously goes in the column of loan signings that didn't work out. Another loan sign that didn't work out in my opinion, and we'll get to the positive ones in a little bit. Then other signers that didn't work out. I remember, look, this is a little, maybe not before your time, but I don't think you'll remember this one, but Andy Gorham. I remember we signed from, I think it was 37 at the time we signed him from Motherwell. Um, Fabian Bartes and Raymond Vanderhaal were both injured, and Stralix brought in Andy Gorham for two games. I remember one of the games was against Coventry. I think both games we conceded two goals. We beat Coventry 4 2, so obviously on the winning side. I forget if we lost the other game. But we brought in a 37-year-old goalkeeper. And, Larry, this guy, Andy Gorham, 37-year-old from Motherwell, he looked yeah. like a 37-year-old from Motherwell. He, he looked like <laughs> the reserve goalkeeper who should be like having a pint on the, side of the, on the side of the pitch. And he came into Manchester United's first team. And um, that was a lone signer that didn't go down too well with the Manchester United fans. Another goalkeeper who was on loan, which a lot of people forget, Thomas Kushak. He came on loan oh, before he, yeah. made his, he made his deal permanent um, after a couple of years. Was he on loan, after he, was he on loan he, initially? He, he arrived on loan, then he made it permanent, I think, before the double win in season. So and that, that's one where, okay, he didn't go on and be a number one goalkeeper like um, Edwin van der Sar was, but he had a good impact. When he came in, he did his job and obviously played his part in the, that successful period for United. He was the – you look at that period, that is Manchester United's most successful ever period. He's a backup goalkeeper, so you have to give him credit. Yeah, wow. Yeah, and I mean – and he's had a good career. Um, so, you know, clearly not a bad goalkeeper. Y- you mentioned um, – goalkeepers eating pie and uh look i can't help but not want to share this um so i'm just gonna share our screen for a moment but um please let me let me just do you remember this guy the fa cup against arsenal he got banned he got fined for that how could you find find this handsome absolute specimen of a bloke do you remember why he was fined not a clue he put a bet on. There was a bet. Would he eat a pie um, on the sideline or oh, eat a pie or, or have a pint or something? And was um, there? Okay. he was obviously in on it because they, was, they had pre-match interviews with him because it was Arsenal against, I forget who it was, um, I forget the club. Um, maybe someone in the live chat can let us know which club he did play for. But there was a lot of chat. He was the main one. He wasn't playing. He was like a reserve goalkeeper slash goalkeeping coach. And um, there was a lot of this banter around, so will he eat a pie or will he have a pint of beer on the sideline? And it was the game was over, whatever the score was, and it was in injury time. And he just went off someone from the, the crowd, leant over, gave him a pie, and he just took one bite and gave it back. But it was down to that betting. I think Paddy Power had money on or something. Oh, but it was an interesting cheeky, one. Cheeky, man. Um, definitely funny. Just back to Tom's comment here. I mean, I mean, it is sort of on the topic of physicality because if you saw that goalkeeper, good God. Um I think this is back on the Ahmad discussion. Physicality is the most important trait to have, despite the Premier League uh, being a more physical league. And you refer to Jamie Vardy there. Yeah, but even Vardy, I, I don't know if the TV does him justice. I think he's a he's fairly solid, Jamie Vardy. Yeah. I, I don't think he's he's not sticks and bones. I think I, th- I think there's Ahmad different. Does. 
There's different versions of physicality. Some people think physicality is in hard in the tackle or size-wise, physical size, upwind in headers. Some physicality can be down to pace and power in terms of off-the-ball movement. Yeah. Um, like Wayne Rooney, obviously he was very powerful, Wayne Rooney, but off-the-ball where no one was near him, he was powerful. He did have that physicality off-the-ball. You look at a Harry Maguire, doesn't have that physicality off-the-ball in terms of running and turning, but he does have the physicality and a challenge. There are so many different types of um physicality but um josh here good to see you mate hope you're keeping well this friday but any other loans larry there is um actually i'll throw a name to you was this a successful loan um odia nagalo i think so yeah. i think so yeah. i mean there was no expectation of him coming in he was literally he was literally obtained just to be an extra body and i think you know he didn't play a lot of football but when he did play you look at his goals to games yeah. it's very good um, and I think for what he is, look, can I be honest? Now, some might call me extreme here. Would you take Odia Nagalo, the, the version we got on loan, or would you take Romelu Lukaku right now? Because I'm telling you, in terms of output, well, you laugh, but in terms of output, you can't tell me Odia Nagalo didn't deliver more. He's got his, and while his touch isn't brilliant, I'd argue it's better than Lukaku. I'd argue he's a better footballer than Romelu Lukaku. I think I've got to the stage where Josh is saying here in regards to the epitome of desire and love the club. And I think what I said a couple of weeks ago when we were in the midst of United's sort of poor form, I was saying, I'm over it, Larry, and I just don't care about United's form or we're going to win anything or anything. I'm just going to enjoy it for what it is and hope we get a cup run. And it's almost along that line of thinking with Lukaku and Agalo. Okay, Lukaku is better. Yes, he is. I understand that in regards to goals and what the team needs. But I've got to the stage now where I'd substitute that if I can get someone who's going to care for the badge and fight for the badge. So the, in my opinion, look, if I'm thinking with my head, you'd probably go Romelu Lukaku, no doubt. But my, my line of thinking at the moment, I'll definitely go um, Odia Nagalo because, as I said, he actually was quite good. Um, it was a shame the circumstances that he came in, but he, um, he was surprisingly good in my opinion. Um, Tom here saying Nagalo all day, Lukaku overrated. Pretty much my, along my line of thinking there. But... Um, Two other strikers go into potentially our best ever loans, Larry. Um, I'll, I'll throw you the honours of our most successful loan, in your opinion. I think we have discussed this before, so I'll give you the honours to get the correct answer. Who is Man United's greatest ever signing on loan? It has to be Carlos Tevez. Yeah. It has to be. Irrespective of your thoughts of him, um, I think when anyone thinks of 07-08, two things will come to your mind. You'll think – no, sorry, three things will come to your mind. You'll think of Paul Scholes' goal against Barcelona. You're going to think of Cristiano Ronaldo. But you're also going to think of Rooney, Ronaldo, and Tevez. And the reason Tevez gets thrown into that trio is because he was absolutely brilliant. And, you know, his behavior off the pitch in the years that followed, it is what it is. Um, look, if I'm being honest, I really don't think. I know that that infamous picture of him holding the rest in peace, Fergie, I really don't think Tevez meant anything nasty by it. I really don't. Uh, but anyway, uh, before we dwell on that, um, Tevez was absolutely awesome for United. And let's not forget, United did want to make him permanent at the end of the day. Like, he was well, a Tevez, fine Tevez wanted to make it permanent. That was the thing. Yeah. Ferguson was the one who was a little bit hesitant. And the more information that comes out, it almost paints Fergie in a bad picture. And Carlos Tevez was almost painted the good guy now. So, how do you look back now in terms of the treatment we had towards Carlos Tevez when he did leave, obviously, to Manchester City? Obviously, the banner, one or two words said in the media. How do you look back now, like the best part of a decade later, over a decade later? when we do have more information that has come to light, are you almost, because we almost, we put him in that worst potential category. We put him there with Paul Lintz. We put him there with Di Maria and Sanchez. Is, are we right to do that in terms of, the, for me, I don't like to say it publicly. Here I am on YouTube saying it publicly. 
I kind of softened with Carlos Tevez at the moment. I still don't have him in the highest regard, but I, maybe that hatred isn't quite there. I, I look back and can just enjoy the good moments he did give us because um, the more information that does come to light, um, he did want to stay. I mean, what's a player to do, right? I mean, if if you put yourself in his shoes, um, and that'd be fairly easy. I imagine you're similar shoe sizes, Tom. But um, if he wanted to come to United, Fergie didn't want it. And then by the time Fergie wanted it, he basically has to make a decision. What's he going to do? He got offered good money to go to a big club that had big ambitions. He was going to play in the Champions League. He was going to be first choice. You can't really have hard feelings. I think if you're in his shoes, you'd probably do the same thing, to be honest. So good player too. Like you, we talk about, um, Josh mentioned earlier with a guy, the epitome of desire. Man, Tevez was a freaking pit bull on the pitch. He was so, like as a fan, he's so easy to get behind. Him and Rooney. Just I think, I think if anyone has, if, if anyone looks at Cavani now, if anyone who didn't didn't witness yeah. Carlos Tevez at United, and you you sort of watching Manchester United now, and you do like what Edison Cavani is bringing, think of what Cavani's prime performance for United. Think Edison Cavani puts in the perfect Cavani performance at the moment for Old Trafford. Triple that, quadruple that, times it by ten. That is what Carlos Tevez did for ninety minutes every single week. You actually look at Carlos Tevez goal scoring record. He wasn't a great goal scorer now. Obviously, so that was trumped a little bit by the plays he did have around him in, in Wayne Rooney, Cristiano Ronaldo, and even Dimitar Berbatov in, in the second season. But um, Carlos Tevez, unbelievable. You look, you look. We talk about work rate and plays sort of having a sprint in them here or there. He was just, I don't know what the word is. He was like an, the Energizer Bunny for 90 minutes. He was just nonstop. He was truly unbelievable. And um, he was obviously that photo that popped up about a couple of months ago in, in the blue shirt in that famous blue kit. He did. He still has that um, shirt with him. So. Obviously, he still has the blow to, to moving from City or to City from, you know, has softened for him as well. I still think he obviously has a lot of friends at the club. Obviously, he's best friends with Carlos Tevez, um, with Patrice Evra and Park Ji-sung. So I think Tevez still has a bit of Isn't soft Isn't that an odd trio? What yeah. an odd trio that is. They've spoken about how that communication worked. They all speak three different languages, but I think Patrice Everall <laughs> was the one who sort of was the middleman and was able to translate a little bit. But um, the only other loan sign I can think of, Larry, um, he doesn't go in the Carlos Tevez category for me, but just as important in terms of short term, um, Henrik Larsson on loan in the 06-07 yeah. season. Obviously an important goal in the FA Cup, which we obviously didn't go on to win the FA Cup, but an important goal against Villa. But um, came in and just sort of made a little bit of a difference because that was that season where we'd, we'd been three years without winning the league title. We just needed something to get over the line. And Henrik Larsson, obviously we had Ronaldo and Rooney coming into their prime, but we just needed that experience head, just someone to help everyone along and get over the line. And Henrik Larsson helped us do that. Yeah, he did. Uh, the, the thing with Larson too, he was well. He was at the end of his career as well. So I think you know, it, I, I, obviously, social media wasn't around back then. But you could imagine if that signing was announced, that the reaction online what it would have been like. There'd, there'd be criticism yeah. left, right, and center. So well, it's kind of like signing a it's kind of like signing a Ronaldo or Cavani. Like, pretend we got one of those on loan, which Cavani's kind of like a loan. Yeah, it is. Um, but, you know, I think those two players particularly, like I said earlier, um, I think sports science has come a long way, nutrition, uh, the, the level of information that these players get now. Um, I, I just don't think the information was as accessible back then. Or even if it was, it wasn't pro- probably put under the put under the light, the, the lights the way they are now. Um, so, you know, the fact he came in at the age he did, how old was he? I, I want to say he was definitely in his 30s. Oh, yeah, it would have been 34, 35, probably maybe even later. Maybe someone does know in the live chat or in the comments. Yeah. Please do let us know. Well, but, um, you, ju- you just mentioned um, social media there. And as we said at the start of the podcast, Friday night points so something a little bit different. We'll just have a bit of a casual chat. It'll been going 
27 minutes just talking about one or two sort of United-related news, but I was also looking back sort of United's history in regards to loan deals. But in regards to here we are on YouTube, Larry, you mentioned social media, and there is a bit of a storm brewing amongst Manchester United fans on social media and something I thought would be worth discussing. And please get your thoughts in the live chat or in the comments below, because this one is big in terms of Rio Ferdinand, obviously has a very famous YouTube channel, I'm sure, which is a good channel. I'm definitely not knocking it. I do tune in and watch some of his stuff. Um, and I do love Rio Ferdinand. I'm fortunate enough to meet him on a few occasions and has always been a lovely guy. I absolutely love Rio Ferdinand to death. He's made a bad decision here, in my opinion, in regards to Manchester United fans. He is let... Um, I'm blocked by the guy, so I don't actually see too many of his tweets now, thank God. But the... I don't know how to pronounce his name, Saeed, the Teletubby we always look at on Twitter and YouTube. He's let him on his channel. Now, thank God Rio wasn't in the room. But in terms of that is one of the terms that he's been thrown around Man United and social media at the moment, read the room. We talk about the Glazers not being able to read the room or Man United's PR team not reading the room. Rio Ferdinand hasn't read the Manchester United room by allowing this guy on his YouTube channel, someone who has sort of... Some of the stuff he said about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, some of the stuff he's said about Scott McTominay, borderline racism... This is a bad move by Rio Ferdinand, and I think he's right to be called Try to organise a failed protest to get the manager sacked? Yeah, or try to organise that. Pro- he, he tried to hide it as a Glazers Out protest, but it was an Ollie oh, Out protest. Yeah. And the first Glazers Out protest he went to, do you know what he came dressed as? Or well, not dressed as, but he showed up to the Glazers Out protest decked in the Megastore gear. So, um, yeah, sort of yeah. sums up his knowledge. But enough about that. On to Rio Ferdinand and allowing this guy on his channel. On, on a big platform, I assume they've got close to a million subscribers type thing. It's a bad move for Rio Ferdinand. He's been rightly, in my opinion, called out by Manchester United fans. Yeah, it's a bad move. Um, I, look, I'm going to be honest with you, Tom. I, I clicked into it. Like, I, we've had Stephen Housen on our podcast. So obviously, we, we support Stephen Housen. His content's awesome, uh, by the way. Um, and uh, Vibe with Five is awesome as well. I really do enjoy watching it. Rio Ferdinand gives some wonderful insight. Just he gives you the insight of a player that to be honest, with all due respect to the other pundits, I just don't think they go into the level of detail that Rio does. And perhaps that's because it's his own platform. He feels more inclined to do that. Um, but yeah, I think this was I think this was a bad move. Um, I, I couldn't watch it. I, I turned it on for a whole two minutes. I was like, am I okay with this? I decided I wasn't. I turned it off. Um, and I think, you know, when we're looking at United fans and like, you know, I think you and I made a very conscious decision when we started this podcast and maybe more of a conscious decision when we went on a YouTube is we try to be very mindful of the things we say. Um, and, and I think fundamentally, and I, I don't want to question anyone's character here, but I think the way someone acts online, if someone wants to do a reaction now, look, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. um Saeed personally, obviously, uh, but I, I always think that, if someone is willing to act a certain way in order to gain followers, that tells you more about their character than anything ever will. If if money is the reason you act the way you act, then you deserve to be criticized and get everything that comes with that. Now, unfortunately, while I don't believe this to be a money grab by Rio, he's been smashed with that a lot over the last 24 hours. It's been a, you know, you're putting the pounds over over everything else, um, you know, sell, selling his soul, quote-unquote. I'll be amazed if this show is on next week, put it that way. My, my thing, and look, we can talk about pound notes and in terms of selling souls, I, I think that's another discussion in my opinion. My issue here is a selfish one and Manchester United and the way he, this guy has treated some Manchester United, whether it be current players, and look, we're all here we are criticising players every week. No issue with any criticism to players, no issue with any criticism to any managers. 
but some of the stuff he has said about our players and some of the stuff he has said about managers, where that be Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and it's even gone after Stralix Ferguson with some xenophobic stuff. I just think that is my issue with Rio Ferdinand. Rio Ferdinand's supposed to, and I'm sure Rio Ferdinand does love the club, but if you do love the club, these are things you can't sort of allow because it has hurt yeah. Manchester United fans because this guy has, did hurt us last season in regards to he made he made the fan base embarrassing online. Fans, Arsenal fans, Tottenham fans, City, Liverpool, whoever, were tuning into Manchester United content to laugh and to poke fun of us because of characters like that. And some of the stuff he said about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, I just can't forget. Yeah, racist. Like it was genuinely right. I remember one tweet where he's told he's basically politely said Ole should go back to Norway and not in those words. Um, yeah, the, the way he carried on was absolutely ridiculous. And you got to remember, and I think. That's one thing that I am extremely proud of on this channel. We never, ever, ever, we maintained respect for Oli the whole way through. And rightfully so. If we if we went through the same thing again, we'd be saying Oli needs to go. Not the right man for the job. But ultimately, um, you know, he is a legend of the club. There's an element of respect that you need to maintain. And that let's be real. A lot of United fans, match-going fans, are very respectful. They really are. They're they're very conscious of it. The fans who booed uh, the Ollie's last game in charge at Watford. Um, When there were fans who booed in the away end, a lot of the Reds there called out those boys, rightfully so, and told them, we don't do that here. So, you know, there is a a certain respect that comes with being a Manchester United fan. So, But like I said, I I think Rio should have done his homework, but if he hasn't now, he definitely... He definitely knows about it. So let's see how he acts next week. Well, Tom here just saying, which video are we talking about? Is it with Rio and the guy? So Saeed, you mentioned. Yeah, it is Saeed. Um, I'm sure everyone on social media does who he knows. It's on Rio Ferdinand's channel, Tom. Rio wasn't actually in the studio. They just had a couple of that Man City fan. Why? I don't know. They had a Liverpool fan. I think they had uh, one or two Man United fans and obviously the host. No, I'm not saying not. don't go and watch it. Go watch it. Um, it's Rio Ferdinand's channel. So support his stuff. Uh, as I said, me and Larry both do. I think it is a good channel. And um, obviously, Saeed's allowed to go there on and share his opinion like anyone else. But as a Manchester United fan in Rio Ferdinand, obviously, he's got Stephen House in there who's had run-ins with Saeed. I think he should have been um, sort of notified because maybe Rio Ferdinand doesn't know who this guy is, but he needs to be pointed out, and Man United fans are doing that. So hopefully, House does have a word to him. But um, on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, you do mention there, Larry. Josh brought it up. How good was the pick with Oli at the United Ladies? Obviously, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's yeah. daughter, um, plays for the Man United under-21s women's team, but he was there with a photo with one of the other players. Um, Solskjaer looks better after not being in the job for a couple of weeks, doesn't he? Looks like he's got younger. Yeah, he honestly, his his skin looks relaxed. He, he's, he's throwing a Peter Pan and uh, reducing his age. Man, it just shows it is such a big job. It really is. It really is. I cannot imagine the pressure of being a Manchester United manager. Everything you say is scrutinised. I think... You know, whether whatever you think of Ralph Rennick, I was I was thinking about this today actually while I was procrastinating. And the fact that he's like a no bullshit traditional German, I think really does serve him well. I don't think Rennick goes to bed thinking about, oh, should I have said this? Should I have said that? I think he just speaks his mind and he goes to bed with a clear conscience. Whereas with Oli, you can see he thinks about what he says. I remember there was one interview toward the end, he laughed and then he's like, Oh, I shouldn't laugh, because he knows what people say online, like the poor guy, like it was yeah. just it was tearing him apart. So, but I'm happy to see him in good spirits. Uh, Ollie, he's a good man, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Where do you think Ollie ends up next time? Do you think he'll manage a club back in Norway? Do you expect to see him in the Premier League? Where do you think Ollie ends up next? 
Yeah, well, that, no, never really thought about that. His name sort of in a little bit of banter was thrown with the Everton job. That was never going to happen. That was as a Twitter rumour sort of that went viral. I don't think – I think some Premier League clubs would want to sort of take a punt on this all years ago. Obviously, Sunderland – not Sunderland, um, Cardiff took the punt on him type thing. Uh, I think clubs would want to take the punt on him in terms of trying to get that bounce. You do look what he did at United when he first came in. I just think from a PR point of view, I don't think any club would touch him. It's just not worth their trouble, unless it's a club like Watford or something. Who obviously, Roy Hodgson will be sacked in a couple of weeks' time um, with only a few weeks left in the season, maybe bring Solskjaer in then. But, um, yeah, I don't I don't think any clubs are going to touch Solskjaer. In regards to the Premier League, maybe the Championship, if Solskjaer does want to return to that, he will. But um, I remember that one thing just before we move on. That was the one thing that really did sort of break me was one of his last interviews. It might have been the last one, I forget. But in the last interview, he was um, talking, and it was a, a throwaway line, and he just sort of cracked a little bit of a smile. I just laughed, and then he tried to rein it back in. I said, "Oh no, I shouldn't laugh at that." And it was just, just laugh. If something's funny or you, a smile comes to your mind, you should be able to do that. And then he was thinking that Man, Man United fans, or I suppose that Man United fans, weren't allowing the manager to smile, w- weren't allowing to have a smile on his yeah, face when he goes sad. to work. Yeah. Um, Tom here, all his problem was his stubbornness. He, well, it's a different debate. <laughs> we both sat here and agreed Solskjaer needed to go. There was no issue with Solskjaer being sacked. That's another dis- discussion. We're talking about the treatment of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and the abuse um, this Saeed guy has given him, um, both whether it be xenophobic or racial abuse. Um, I thought it was way over – well, of course it was way over the top, but um, needs to be called out and Rio Ferdinand, fingers crossed, doesn't have him on the channel again because you don't need to be giving um, people like him a pl- platform like that because it does influence the Manchester United fan base. But um, – Oh, here in regards, Tom saying in regards to his future job. Yeah, well, it's another discussion. Um, I'll be surprised if he gets a job um, anytime soon. If it is the Premier League, I think it'll be one of those sort of yo-yo clubs in a bit of a tricky situation. But Larry, we'll discuss a little bit before um, before we went off air uh, on air. Sorry. And if you are in the live chat, if you can leave a like on the video, that would be great. Or if you are watching on delay, if you could leave your thoughts in on anything in the comments below, just even one or two comments um, down in the comments section, it really does help the channel. So I do appreciate that. And if you are new, if you could subscribe, it would be truly appreciated. But something a little bit different, Larry, for Friday night, we'll discuss in a little bit Australian football. I don't know what brought it up. We saw a photo of Mark Bosnich. Obviously, Dwight York is in the thumbnail. And how can we relate Manchester United to Australian football? Well, it's a discussion we could have for hours and hours. What's wrong with Australian football? Here we are as Man United fans. Why don't we support our local team? We're supporting the team as far away from Sydney as physically possible. I'm just thinking I've been called out from Man United fans in Manchester saying why do I don't support Sydney FC or Western Sydney, whatever they're called. I don't support I find it very hard to get behind Australian football. And I feel bad. In my opinion, I feel bad that I don't support Australian football, but I just can't get around to it. And there are many issues. Um, we'll sort of get into them as we go. But just your thoughts on Australian football. Obviously, Socceroos did play last night. I assume they won. I did see one goal. But um, how did they go, the Socceroos? I couldn't tell you. I don't watch it. No, they were playing Vietnam. I saw I saw the Matildas. They smashed a team the other week. But in regards to Socceroos, I did see them play. Obviously, one of my mates does play for the Socceroos still. So I am keen mate? to see him play. Um, Aaron Moy used to play with. So um, we'll, we'll get into it. Obviously, Aaron Moy, in terms of he's one of the best footballers I have played with. Unbelievable footballer. When I did start playing with him, you look at his style now, he's almost that holding midfielder and right-footed. When I used to play with him at the start of his career, he was a left-footed winger. Um, Obviously, a very different player. Shows how versatile he is and how he did develop his game. But I do look at that. An unbelievable player, Josh Lane, here, that um, they beat um, Vietnam 4-0. What what do you make of the soccer by the way? (laughs) What, what, What have you made of the soccer in regards to... Does that... Is their performances or the, the narrative around the soccer is does that impact your 
thinking of Australian football or are you looking at Australian football as in the A-League? Um, just your thoughts on – because the, the question is what's wrong with Australian football. That's a big, big question, obviously. Oh, just massive, to get the, ball yeah. roll, get the ball rolling, what is the problem? Oh, God. How long do we have? Um, many things. I think for a – for an everyday fan, for a young kid growing up, I think you club football is your bread and butter. I think when you're a young kid, you you don't fall in love with your national team. I think that comes that comes with club football. You you learn to your heroes will be the club you support, and then when you find out they play for Australia, you start watching your country, and I think that's how it it generally flows. Um, I think that that's where I'd start. I'd say club football in in Australia now. There there are many issues. So. If I don't know if many people know this, and you know, I'm not sure what Tom, you'd actually be good because you played for Sheffield United under 18s. Am I right in saying that? Trained there, trained there. Yeah. Well, you could probably highlight what they do in England, but in Australia, if if you're going to make it to the A League, you basically need to come from a wealthy family. That that's essentially the top and bottom of it. If you're going to, and, and you were at Central Coast Mariners for a period as well, weren't you? So you're in the system. If, if your parents or your family cannot afford, I believe it's once you're playing rep. So once you're out of the divisions, I think it's something like fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars a season. Oh, that, that's what it used to be, yeah, two grand minimum. There you go. So I imagine now it's probably closer to the three k mark. So if you're a young kid who's got all the technical ability in the world and you're from southwestern Sydney, your parents potentially have come here as refugees or you know aren't, aren't first born Australians. How on earth do you expect them to pay for their child? And I'm sure they want to support the kids' dreams. Simply can't afford it because putting food on the table is the priority. Paying the bills is the priority. So if you're a technical kid with all the talent in the world, you don't make it to the A-League. It's as simple as that. So unfortunately, I think what you're seeing is when you get to the A-League, you're seeing the you're seeing kids who made it simply because their families could afford it, along with some washed-up players who couldn't make it in Europe. Well, it, it's those two hurdles. There's two really big hurdles, in my opinion, and there are so many other issues. But in regards to play development and sort of getting through the A-League, whether it be the old NSL or the, now the A-League, and then making that step, that step to Europe, those are the two hurdles. One, the cost in terms of allowing your kid to play at the high level and sort of what, what we mean by the high level is gaining access to that professional development in regards to getting the proper training, et cetera. Okay, you can develop playing Sunday League stuff. But if someone's developing on a proper pitch with proper boots, proper coaches, they're going to sort of be fast-tracked a little bit more. But also in regards to the main other hurdle at that age, whether it be under 10s to under 18s, is the desire in Australia for results at a young age. And sort of those players who can get results at a young age are the big players, are the physical players, are the quick players. I remember I used to go down, Robbie Cruz was my age. Obviously still is my age. But Robbie Cruz was the one in our age group who was... He was tipped at 12 years old. He was going to be the Socceroo from our age group. Everyone knew around Australia, Robbie Cruz is going to be the player who goes into the Socceroos. How they knew that at 12 years old, who knows? But we used to go down to the AIS every year for pre-season. Robbie Cruz was down there. He was down there for years. Good player. Good player. No issue, though. No, he wasn't better than anyone. The reason why he was better, he was 10 times quicker than everyone. So you can imagine a game in under 12s, under 14s, under 16s. You can imagine what a goal looks like at sort of state league level. It's kick it over the top and whoever's a fast striker will score a goal. And Robbie Cruz was just lightning quick. Now he obviously went on to develop into a good footballer. He went to play he's played A League, played Socceroos, played in the I think he played over in Germany. He might have been in the Bundesliga. So he developed into a very good player. I think people still maybe criticize him, but at the end of the day he's a professional footballer. He developed well. 
but he was given that opportunity to develop because of his physical attributes. So he was able to go to the AAS and develop because he was quicker than everyone else, not that he was better than everyone else. And that goes to the same thing with, okay, someone not able to pay two grand. Well, I can get into that team because my father has two grand. I can go play for that team where the better kid out in Western Sydney doesn't have that two grand. So he has to go and develop in his Sunday league team where someone, one of the richer kids can go and develop in that sort of more professional environment. And they are the two main hurdles. Because I look at that, I just mentioned Robbie Cruz. I mentioned the, the 2014 World Cup squad. That got to a lot of me and my friends who were still playing at the time because we did look at that. And it was a 23-man squad. And I think we went back through it and there was at least 10 or 12 players that I played either with or against in that 2014 World Cup squad. And there were only one or two players that were on a different level. Obviously, Aaron Moy was on a different level. Matty Mackay, I thought, was on a different level when he played against us. But other players like that, I remember Adam Taggart started a game. And Adam Taggart sort of trained and played with us a few times. Quick but one of the worst players in the team. But he got into that system because of his physical attributes at a young age and he sort of got in there and he was just quicker than everyone else and he obviously developed into a good footballer and fair play to him. That's why he goes into the Socceroos. But there was 10 times better players than him just weren't afforded that opportunity because they weren't able to provide results at 14, at 15, at 16 years old. And that really sort of was a bug. I remember in that 2014 World Cup, I was so angry with that team and the personnel I was seeing representing Australia when one matter scored against um, the Socceroos, made it 3-0 for Spain. I was disappointed Australia lost, but I was kind of happy that a Man United player scored. So I think that is why little things like that do sort of, it's not, not stem my hatred, I don't hate Australian football, but sort of proves why I can't, I can't get behind it. Yeah, I'd agree with a lot of that. I'd put it to you this way. If Marcus Rashford grew up in Australia... He wouldn't be a professional footballer. The, the, the prime example is Lionel Messi. Well, would he probably? Yeah. Now, he, he's, he's a special case because he is that good. But I've seen players, not obviously not at his level, but I've seen tricky little players, especially little left-footed players who sort of play off the striker. Unbelievable. Ten times quality compared to what you see in the A-League. But just weren't afforded the opportunity. They weren't able to provide results at 15, 16 years age, and they just never went into the system. And there would have been a fear. Lionel Messi probably wouldn't have made it or de- definitely wouldn't have developed into the player that he did. Um, if he did play in the A League, or if he did, if he did come through the Australian system, I should say. Yeah, it's criminal. Um, look, in terms of club football, that stems from what we're talking about, doesn't it? I mean, if you if you watch the quality of the A League, with all due respect, all the players out there, it's poor. It's it's difficult to watch. In terms of TV, um, so for anyone who's not in Australia, in in the comments, so they're obviously on Fox Sports, pretty big channel, pretty big provider of sport. Rugby League um, and AFL, which are the two predominant sports here, are both on Fox Sports. Pardon me. Um, and even they, they gave up on the A-League. So now they're on, I think they're on Paramount, which is a streaming service. No one has Paramount. It's basically a backup to Channel 10, so which is on free-to-air. So even the free-to-air service in this country doesn't want the A-League on their prime. They, they take one game. I think they take the Saturday night game. Um, that they put that on the free to wear, but yeah, well, it's one game a week. Yeah, so it, it's harder access. You're not going to be paying your ten dollars a month just to watch an A League game. To be Do you honest. feel so, we as fans like when Sydney FC started, and it was a little bit, a little bit before I got into senior football and tried to make it. As a, it was a little bit before that. So when Sydney FC started, I was young, still in school. Said I'll try and get behind this, and I bought a Sydney FC membership. Um, it was p- probably off the back of Dwight York. Um, arriving at the club's obviously in the thumbnail, and I did want to get behind. I thought, hey, here's a team. I'll still support Man United, but here's a team I can actually physically go to. I lasted two or three games, and I just when Sydney FC scored or when the other team scored, my reaction was okay. 
And then I, I know some people who watch our league and they fall in love with their clubs and absolutely love it and fair play. But my love for Manchester United, in my, for me, just made that an impossibility. I, I just couldn't. I tried. I, I remember I went to watch. I almost did the opposite. I went to try and get behind Western Sydney Wanderers when they started. And Alessandro Del Piero played for Sydney FC. And Del Piero did a really good bit of skill and went past one or two Wanderers players. And I got up and said, oh, what a bit of skill that was. And I'm just thinking, well, hang on. If that was Steven Gerrard for Liverpool against Manchester United, I couldn't clap Steven Gerrard doing a nice bit of skill going past two Man United players just because of my hatred, the, the emotion, the passion I would have invested in that game. But here I am, two supposed rivals in Sydney FC and Western Sydney Wanderers. I was just as excited to see the other team, which I was supposedly had a rivalry with. I think that's that's probably another big fundamental... It's a difficult one. Um I think this franchise model really, because I think that's what you're referring to. Maybe this franchise model that Australian football has tried to go for um, really hurts. Because obviously, and that's a whole different debate, the the National Premier League um, here in New South Wales, uh, you, you've got in the NPL, you've got some absolutely long-standing football clubs, it has to be said, uh, with ethnic connections. Um, you know, I'm not well, that, 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 that also played its part in um, stunting some growth uh, of players. I remember I used to go to trials, um, whether it be Sydney Olympics, Sydney United. Croatians, you train on this field. You trial on this field. Non-Croatians, you train on this field. Guess which team they picked from? They picked from one field. Um, so I think I remember Paramount of Malidra, Maltese, Maltese kids over here. Everyone else, you train on this field. There's one field they pick from. So, and look, these clubs do have a huge importance in, within the game in Australia. But um, and and I think are positive. I think they should still be around and have a sort of great future, a great role to play in the future. But they also, in my opinion, did stunt the growth of many players in Australia. Yeah, it, that's the thing. I mean, we've just spoken about three massive issues in Australian football, and how do you fix all of that? It's it's very difficult. And I think the franchise model is is a difficult one to get behind because, like you said, I think when you just bring a club out of nothing and say, here you go, here's your shiny new toy, go support it, go play with it, that's really difficult. If you look at the history of every single English club, they've, they've been there from day dot. They've come through the football system. Every team in the football pyramid in England, which has flaws itself, if I'm being honest, we see the likes of Bury and Derby and what they're facing. But every club in that football pyramid has the opportunity, in theory, to make it to the Premier League. Yeah. That doesn't exist here. And I'll I tell you what, what kills me. Issue. What kills me with the A League and Mark Bosnich, who we've had on the podcast, or maybe this would have been a chat to have um, Bosner on, but we'll get him on again at some stage before the end of the season. The thing that kills me, salary cap. I know you're a big fan of the rugby league and you support the rugby league, and you can tell me the pros and cons of a salary cap. But in my opinion, just looking at it. I, I think it stunts the growth. I think whoever wins, you're punished for being successful. So if Sydney FC go on to win, their salary cap stays the same and they're punished. They're, okay, I can't pay this player anymore. You should be able to look, look at Man United when they were successful. The reason they were able to sustain their success is because they were able to build upon it. But in a salary cap league, you're really hampered by the, the rules around you. And I understand why, that, why it's in there. It is to protect the clubs from themselves. But ultimately, get the right people in charge of the clubs to make sure they do protect themselves and let clubs grow. I agree with you in theory. I think salary cap works in the NRL basically because in terms of money, in terms of how much all those clubs turn over, it's probably in the thing with rugby league and the AFL is let's be real. I mean, yeah, it's it's just in Australia. Correct. That's the issue. So when you're talking about the A league, like we saw Fernando Torres was in negotiations with Sydney FC a couple years ago. The reason it didn't get done over the line is because I think he wanted, I think he wanted in the region of, Four million 
I think, $4 million per season. Sydney FC is not in a position to pay that. So, yeah, so you do have, you get one marquee, uh, an international marquee. You can pay them whatever you like, and you also have one national marquee. So one Australian, you can pay them whatever you like. Every other player falls under the salary cap. But how can you justify paying one player $4 million when you've got your second best player on 600000 so th- that's the issue, um, and it, it makes it very difficult. And that's another big problem with the A League; they don't attract the top names. If you look at the MLS, they have a salary cap, but it's a substantial salary cap. It's large; they can actually pay their players. Uh, what, do you, Gerard, what do you think of that, though, in regards to a name like Gerard or I remember yeah. David Beckham was even linked here, but Adele Pierre or a Dwight York? It comes into two different categories. Some people say yes, bring them in for the short term gain, even if it's a detriment to the team. Let's get some bums on seats. Some people say, no, get a better play, build them up. I remember when I did watch the A-League, one of the best players or best signings, in my opinion, and someone could tell me if I'm wrong, was um, Berisha from Brisbane Raw. I thought he was yeah, brilliant. brilliant. And I, so, But it wasn't that big name. But they brought someone in who could be successful and build the club. I think he was there when Brisbane were quite successful. So that is a route. But in my opinion, and in my opinion, I think in the back of my mind that it's the wrong idea but I still would be choosing to do it. I would be bringing in a big name simply to try and get me to the game because I'm not going to go to an A-League game. But if Sydney FC bring one matter in on a six-month loan, I'm going to Sydney FC games. Now, I understand that might not hurt, might not help them on the pitch in regards to the future of their club, but they need people need people going to the games and suddenly don't target the people who are already going. Don't target the people who love Sydney FC or Western Sydney Wanderers. Target me who doesn't want to go to the games. They're the people who they need to get on side. And I think, in my opinion, they're not quite doing that at the moment. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. You, you need a balance of everything, right? I think ultimately the, the issues with Australian football is the grassroots. If that improves, everything else will kind of work itself out. Um, but I, I well, think it won't, it won't improve with two grand uh, registration fee. Won't well, no, it won't. And that's what I'm saying. So like that, that needs to be fundamentally changed. But you have to attract big name players. If you look at the MLS, they, they got Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Wayne Rooney. Those stadiums were filling up more or less every single home game. So you need to find a way to attract those big name players. Because ultimately, whether you like it or not, the Premier League is what, it's the most popular league in world in, in the world, in any sporting competition in the world. It's the most popular. So if you can attract players who stamped their, or made a major part of their career in that league, it'd be massive. The, the peak of the A-League was Del Piero. I'll tell you something. Sydney FC have won, I think, three A-League titles since Del Piero left. They haven't achieved higher average crowds since he was here. And when Del Piero played for Sydney FC, they didn't make the finals. So it just goes to show people will turn up and watch a brilliant player, even if that team's losing, rather than watch success here. That's how bad it is because we're starved of quality footballers here, unfortunately. That's the thing. I, I, would go, I went to watch Del, Del Piero. I don't know the last time I did go to an A-League game. I have watched a few games over the last couple of years on the telly. When it has been on, I've been too busy. I, I try and get behind it. But that is the thing. Like, I understand issues and there are many complexities with bringing these big names. But people are going, okay, an A-League fan, a fan of Central Coast, a fan of Newcastle, they're going to go anyway. Okay, you don't need to attract those 2,000 people at Central Coast anymore. You need to attract the other 10,000 people to get a decent average crowd. And I don't think they're doing that. And the, the, unfortunately, the way to attract them, rightly or wrongly, is big names. And you do have to spend money, unfortunately. But you do have to cave to my thirst for, yeah, thirst for quality in regards to... I can go, as I said in the discussion, in regards to the far better players growing up than went into the system and developed into professional footballers. You go to an NPL game, whether that be Sydney United versus Olympic or Blacktown or Marconi, there are better technically gifted players in that level 
than the A-League. The reason the A-League players are ultimately better is it's their full-time job. They're training Monday to Friday, so they're a lot sharper, a lot physical, they've got more time to develop their skills. But the ability, like sometimes the players who played against far better but just weren't afforded that opportunity. But I can go and watch them for $5 or $10 or even free at some grounds, but I'm having to go and pay $35 to watch the same thing at a big stadium. Uh, well, Tom, if you want to become CEO of Australian Football, you know, funnily enough, I have a strong connection. So Shane O'Rourke, he's the chairman of the FFA. I actually worked with his daughter. So I, I don't know why I haven't bothered to, you know, chat to him about all of this, but I'm sure he, I'm sure they are aware of all of it. Look, these are issues that were there well before the current, uh, the current uh, board or the current well, FFA committee was formed. So taking it back to Manchester United and uh, we have tried to get him on the podcast failed um, at the moment, but we will try again a little bit later. But speaking of Manchester United and Socceroos and tying it all into one, the five minutes that I did see last night at the Socceroos, do you know who was on the bench for the Socceroos or the manager kind of who, who was the manager? No idea. Rennie Mullenstein. He's obviously the assistant manager, but I think Graham Arnold has COVID, but Rennie Mullenstein is still in the assistant manager and he took charge. So wow. um, there is a, there is a um, connection between Manchester United and Socceroos. Rennie Mullenstein is involved in Australian football. He has been for a while. I didn't try wow. to get him on the podcast. The other year. He said he would get back to us, and unfortunately never did get back to us. But um, now that he is, obviously, I'm, I assume, in Australia. Obviously, he was in Melbourne, but I assume he is living here now. Um, might sort of test those waters again, but... Um, yeah, I wouldn't say a fall from grace, but ultimately it is a fall from grace working with Sir Alex Ferguson and winning Champions Leagues to um, managing the Socceroos against Vietnam. But um, fair play to him. Hope he does do well. And um, let's see, World Cup. Are Australia going to qualify for the World Cup? I assume we are. Was, are we, are we, have we qualified? In the live chat, let us know if Australia are going to the next World Cup. In, I almost feel bad for not knowing. I, almost, I really do, but I just I don't care. And that's another sad thing. Like, how, don't you find it hard to get behind the Socceroos? I don't know. I couldn't tell you. that. I, I don't know what games they play. That's, I don't even know who plays for them anymore. The 2014 World Cup. That's what I said. I, I wanted Spain to beat them because I because Spain had a Man United player and I was so disappointed yeah. with the squad that was representing Australia. Um, yeah, I find it hard and I feel bad for that. I, I want to support Australia. I want yeah, to be there. I want to be proud. I want to be passionate. And unfortunately, just not, not the case. Josh here saying yeah, in regards to Rennie Mullinson, his daughter does MUTV. Yeah, she, she's over there doing... Some good good stuff for Man United TV. There are a few comments here. I think a few people watching a little bit delayed, so some of the comments are sort of catching up a little bit um, after we've had the discussion. So I won't bring them up, but do truly appreciate everyone getting their thoughts in. Um, if you are watching the video, please do leave a like on the video. Almost an hour, Larry. So we'll start to wrap up. Any other thoughts? Yeah. Uh, wrap up yeah, for Friday. I, I'll bring it back to United. Um, I just because I read about this earlier, I have to ask you about these two things before we before we sign off for the evening. Um, Hannibal. There's a lot of talk and a lot of reports coming out suggesting once he comes back from AFCON um, that there's a strong desire to, I guess, embed him into the first team setup. Um, a player who, look, again, if I see YouTube highlights, he's brilliant. Um, I, I've watched enough of him in the under-23s. He's He's got vision. He's got a good passing range. He's He plays in the same position as Bruno Fernandes, so good luck to him. Um, I have a real issue, though, if United let Lingard and Donny van der Beek go. I just don't think there's a lot of backup there should anything happen to Bruno Fernandes. Or Paul Pogba, who, let's be honest, has an injury record almost just just a touch better than Phil Jones over the last three years. So what do you make of that, Hannibal? Does he have a future yeah, at United? Well, ultimately, you hope so. You do hope these players come through and they progress and they get their chance and they take their chance. 
but ultimately, as I said, very rarely does it happen. And like he might have all the ability, but I just find a situation where Ralph Rangnick is in the short term. His goal is to get top four, so he needs a result every single week. Pretty much, it's almost every single game is a cup final. Can he afford that opportunity to Hannibal to sort of blood him in over a six-week period to get him some game time? Simply that can't happen, and rightly won't happen because we do need results. Yeah. Ultimately, if he comes in and maybe gets that start against Middlesbrough, I don't know if we'll be back against Middlesbrough, but if he can get one or two minutes, it will be good to see. I'd love to see him have a few, whether it be Hannibal or any player, I don't care who it is. Obviously, he's one that does stand out, I think, a lot of it down to his haircut in terms of he does look like that. Remember Carlos Valderrama for Colombia, so he does stand out. So it will <laughs> be interesting. He's a good footballer, to be fair. No, yeah, he obviously is good, but I, I think that is some of the, I wouldn't say PR around him. But it would be interesting to see if we'd be having the same discussion if you didn't have that hairstyle. Would um, um, there are some good players in the 23s who we don't talk about? And um, look, I, no one was talking about Anthony Langer before he came through. Anthony Langer got his chance, and it's seemingly taken it. So um, it will be interesting. Josh here is saying, "Have you dropped a stone of Woods, Tom? Yeah, I just haven't been in the bottle shop to find him. So if anyone can make a trip down for me um, for next Friday night pint and grab some couple of beers for me, it'd be much appreciated." All right, my last my last statement before we start to wrap up. Um, Ando Herrera, mm. Spurs were interested. He's reportedly declined because he doesn't want to play for another club in England. Seriously, United could do a thousand worse things than get Herrera back on loan for the rest of the season. Now, then, if we were having this loan debate, could be a completely different discussion. I think we should make it happen. No, no arguments from me. I'll take it. I'll, I'll take. It would be the wrong decision, but I'll take him back on a permanent. Would it deal. be the wrong decision? He's better on a than permanent everything deal. else we got. Yeah, on a permanent deal, I just think business-wise, don't do that. Don't go sort of backwards. But, yes, on, on a loan, I'd be 100 Now it's obviously not going to happen. I'd be 100% behind. I absolutely love Dan Herrera. And you do talk about just the facts in regards to what we have in midfield. He would walk into our midfield. Ultimately, at his time at United, he wasn't the ideal number six. He's more of that number eight. We do need number six. But he obviously did show that he can play in there and did do quite well. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. But um, it was good to see that line come out that, he was in, or Tottenham were interested, but he obviously only has his heart set on United if a return to England ever did eventuate. But hopefully everyone did enjoy um, Josh here saying, yeah, the biggest shit house we've had. And I love him. Yeah, I think every, everyone absolutely loved Ander Herrera. It was a shame how Imagine it did unfold. Imagine midfield of Roy Keane and Ander Herrera. And Paul Scholes. Paul Scholes was, all, like, I mean, uh, in terms uh, of technique, awful tackler, but he loved to tackle. Yeah, no, I think that's the thing. I think that we almost did see that in terms of Roy Keane and Herrera. We did see that with Roy Keane and Paul Scholes. Now, obviously, Paul Scholes is a far better footballer. But in terms of yeah. some of the attributes off the ball and the way they go about um, playing, there are different similarities. Um, so, um, yeah, I'll have to go back and watch some YouTube of Ander Herrera. He did did love a goal or two, and he did love spitting on City's badge. Um, he declines oh, that he did do it on purpose, but yeah, we all know Ander Herrera did do that on purpose. But um, if you would like Ander Herrera back on loan or you did like that he did spit on Man City's badge, um, that afternoon, that halftime incident, um, please do leave a like on the video. And if you are new, it would be great if you could subscribe. Um, Larry, no football this weekend. So we'll be back probably Monday. I assume that's just before the transfer window closes. So I'm assuming there will be a little bit of news we can dissect. But um, yeah, all planned for a good weekend. Yeah, I can't believe there's another whole week until United play again. This week's gone forever, by the way. Yeah, I've got a lot longer to wait. Obviously, yeah, the next kickoff for Man United fans or in Sydney is a 7 a.m. Oh. kickoff on a Saturday morning, which I'll be missing because I'm working Saturday mornings, unfortunately, this term. So I'll have to stay off the internet that Saturday morning. I'm sure Larry will be pestering me with messages saying, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? But, um, yeah, the phone will be off and I won't be watching until later in the day. But hopefully everyone does have a good weekend. Um, thank you for joining us. As I said, please do leave a like on the video before you leave. And if you are new, if you hit subscribe, that would be great. And, Larry, have a good weekend, mate.
Yeah, you too, mate. Cheers. Cheers, mate.